Hey everybody, Pastor Dan here. Thank you so much for listening to our sermon podcast. Before we get into today's message, I just want to give you a heads up that January is Stewardship Month here at Brockport First Baptist. All month we're going to be studying some of Jesus' teachings about money in the Gospel of Mark while we reflect together on our own stewardship. If you've been blessed by this podcast and would like to support the ministries of our church, head over to brockportfirstbaptist.org give. You'll find a bunch of ways there that you can support our church, including by shopping through our Amazon Smile link and by giving online through PayPal. Thank you so much for listening and for supporting our church. We couldn't do what we do without you. Now on to the podcast. You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Scripture reading this morning comes from Mark 12, verses 13 through 17. Then they sent to Jesus some Pharisees and some Herodians to trap him in what he said. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and show deference to no one, but you do not regard people with partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with truth. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why are you putting me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me see it. And they brought one. Then he said to them, Whose head is this and whose title? And they answered, The emperor's. Jesus said to them, Give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were utterly amazed at him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks, thanks be, to, be God. to God. And thanks for that reading, Dick. <clears throat> So, uh, in line with uh, the season of stewardship that we're in uh, and our annual pledge drive, um, we are doing a teaching series this month where we are looking at some of Jesus' teachings from, uh, about money and wealth in the Gospel of Mark. And we've got kind of a theme going on with the titles, if you haven't noticed. Um, two weeks ago, we kicked off this series with a sermon on Mark 7, which is this passage, kind of an obscure passage, uh, where Jesus criticizes the religious leaders, the religious institutions, for using the temple offering system to rip off the elderly. Um, we called that sermon, How Not to Give an Offering. You guys remember that one? Tracking? Good. Awesome. Um, then last week, uh, we looked at the story of the rich young man in Mark 10. It's this uh, relatively famous story where a rich guy comes up to Jesus. He's like, what do I have to do to get into heaven? Jesus is like, sell everything. You guys remember that one? Um, now, I was stumped with last week's sermon. Um, I did not know what to call it for the life of me, and I take sermon titles very seriously. I kept going back and forth all week. Do we call it the rich young man? Do we call it something like wealth and reparations? And it was actually Pastor Alicia. I got to give her credit for this one um, because she was the one who was like, why don't you call it how not to accumulate wealth? Which is like brilliant, right? Absolutely brilliant. Um, So now that we have a theme, um, and given the passage that Dick just read for us, Our sermon for today is titled, How Not to Pay Your Taxes, (laughs) which, um, 
And like, just to clarify, uh, in case there's anyone from the IRS uh, visiting or listening to this, um, this, this teaching is not going to be a how-to. Um, uh, you, should, you should pay your taxes, I want to clarify that. Um, but all joking and sermon titles aside, this is a pretty crucial text. This is a really important passage, um, both in kind of like Christian history and like the flow of the Gospels. Um, This is the passage that gives us that famous line, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. How many of us have heard this line before? It's just about everyone, yeah. And like you might not know it in context, you might not know the story, that's fine, but maybe you've heard this line associated with Jesus. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar, and to God what is God's. Give the emperor what belongs to the emperor, and give God what is God's. Few sentences from the Bible have been so twisted out of context and misused as this one. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Uh, Back in Advent, a number of us uh, read this book called God is in the Manger. I know a number of folks here were in these studies. It's a daily devotional for Advent and Christmas based on the writings of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And Bonhoeffer, if you haven't heard of him, um, was a pastor in Germany during World War II who was part of the underground resistance. He was part of the resistance against the Nazis. He was one of a very small minority of people in Germany who, when Hitler came to power, Bonhoeffer stood up publicly and said, this is not right. And they killed him for it. Not a lot of people know this statistic, um, but when the Nazis came to power in Germany, the German population was 94% Christian. 94%. More than 9 in 10 Germans at the time Hitler rose to power were Christians. How does that happen? How does a Christian country, a a country where 94% of its citizens are practicing Christians, embrace fascism and violence and world domination? There were a lot of factors at play in the rise of the Nazis and World War II and all that. I don't want to oversimplify things, but a big part of the theological justification for those German Christians was the line, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. The way that line has been read through most of church history is that you can have a foot in both worlds. You can be loyal to Caesar, loyal to the governing authorities, even when they do evil. You can accept some terrible things from your government, even participate in it, and still call yourself a follower of Jesus, because I render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. That's how this line is usually read. So I can love my Jewish neighbor, even while they're being hauled off to camps. I can follow Jesus who tells me to love my enemies even when I'm killing my enemies on the battlefield. I can benefit from and even participate in evil stuff my society, my tribe, my people do so long as I go to church on Sunday and make sure I'm good with God because I render unto Caesar what is Caesar and to God what is God's. 
This is a line that's allowed generations of Christians to live with this kind of cognitive dissonance in their heads. To justify terrible evils even when they fly in the face of the gospel. So let's see if we can come up with a better reading for this one, huh? What do you guys think? <laughs> Should we do it? Awesome. Got someone clapping. Excellent. Uh, I'm not going to reread this text. It's pretty straightforward. Um, the religious leaders are trying to trip Jesus up. They're trying to trick him. Uh, they send this cadre of Pharisees and Herodians, basically think like religious leaders and like local officials is kind of the, the makeup, um, and they lead off with flattery. They're like, teacher, we know that you are sincere and show deference to no one. For you do not regard people with partiality, but teach the way of truth, uh, the way of God in accordance with truth. Totally blowing smoke up his robe, right? <laughs> like that's exactly what's going on. And that's when they come at Jesus with the gotcha question. They ask him a question to which there is no good answer. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? Now, for us, this is kind of a weird question, right? Is it lawful to pay taxes? The law says you have to pay taxes, right? Like, there's not another option. Um, it's illegal to not pay your taxes. Um, this question doesn't make much sense to us here in the 21st century. Um, I've never been in a church where I've heard a sermon on whether or not Christians should pay taxes. But at the time of Jesus, this was a really important question. The tax they're asking about is what was called the Roman head tax. Uh, when these yahoos bring Jesus' this question, they're not like using the word for taxes broadly. They're referring to the Roman head tax. It was a fee that everyone who lived in the Roman Empire had to pay once a year. The fee was one denarius, um, which was basically the equivalent of what a day laborer made for like a day's wage. Uh, everyone had to pay that to Caesar. Didn't matter if you were slave or free, citizen or not, everyone had to give a denarius once a year in tribute to Caesar. Now there are two problems with that. First, Jesus' people are an occupied people, right? Like, the Romans are the enemies. They're the bad guys. Nobody wanted to pay the head tax. No one wanted to give tribute to Caesar. Just about everyone did because you didn't really have an option. If you didn't pay the head tax, they'd probably take your head. Um, but nobody liked it. No one was advocating it. No one wanted to pay this tax to Caesar. That's problem number one. Second problem is that Roman coins were inherently idolatrous, which was a big deal for Jewish people at the time of Jesus. On the front of your bulletins, and it's up on the slide too, um, we have uh, the, the picture of the coin. This is the coin, the denarius, the, the coin that Jesus asks for and holds up. Um, you can see it's got a picture on it. That's the Emperor Tiberius. Now, I don't know how good your Latin is. Uh, mine is garbage. <laughs> um, but we put the translation on the screen for you so you can kind of read it, understand it. The coin reads, Caesar Tiberius, son of the divine Augustus. For the ancient Romans, the emperor is God. They were divine. The current emperor was a son of the gods, and then it was believed that when the emperor died, they would ascend to the heavens 
to take their place among the gods. So the emperor is God. The emperor is divine. Which means that this coin is an idol that no pious Jewish person is going to want to have on their person. You don't carry idolatrous money around. We actually know this because in Judea, in the place where this is happening, at the time, the Romans minted copper coins without images to try to get the Jewish people to participate in the economy and pay their taxes. No one wanted to have this coin on them. So when the religious leaders ask Jesus, is it lawful to pay the head tax, he's in a real catch-22 situation. If he says yes, then he's a sellout. If he says, yes, pay the tax, he's collaborating with Rome, and he'll lose the support of the people. But if Jesus says, no, don't pay the tax, well, then he's a revolutionary. Then the religious leaders would have grounds to arrest Jesus and hand him over to the Romans to be tried for sedition, which, by the way, foreshadowing, right? But Jesus sees right through their game. He sees through all their flattery and the trick questions, and he doesn't give them a yes or no answer. Instead, he asks for a denarius, and the religious leaders hand him one. Don't miss that. That's really important. The religious leaders are trying to make Jesus look like an idiot. They're trying to make him look like a collaborator with Rome, the kind of person who'd carry idolatrous Roman money on him. And so Jesus asks for a denarius, and these, these Jewish teachers are like, here you go. We have one. Jesus has just exposed who's collaborating with Rome, and we didn't even get to his answer yet. He's already turned the tables and exposed the religious leaders. He's made them answer their own question and exposed their hypocrisy just by asking for a coin. Notice that Jesus doesn't have a denarius. This is an important point that a lot of times we miss when we look at this. He has to ask for one. Jesus apparently doesn't traffic in imperial coinage, which is interesting, and it kind of blows to pieces the traditional way this passage is usually read. These yahoos give Jesus a coin. He holds it up, and he's like, whose picture is this? Whose face is on this coin, and whose title? And they're like, Caesar's, the emperor's. And then, that's what I imagine Jesus, like, flipping the coin back to them. That's not in the text, but, like, I imagine almost like the smooth criminal video, if anyone knows that reference, where Jesus, or where, uh, I said Jesus, where Michael Jackson, <laughs> easy mistake to make, um, flips a coin all the way across the room, and it goes right in a jukebox. Does anyone know this reference? I know pop culture references go over, like, a ton of bricks here. Some of you, awesome. It's a little too early for me and a little too late for some of the rest of us, but that's okay. I imagine Jesus flipping the coin back to them, And then he says that famous line, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. What do we do with a story like this one? We're in the season of stewardship um, as a congregation. We're going through all these passages where Jesus talks about money. And this might not seem on the surface like a stewardship passage. Go back one on the slides. You gave it away. It's okay, though. 
Um, this might not seem like a stewardship passage on the sign, or on the, on the service, but it totally is. This is a passage about how we steward our allegiance. Now you can go next. Thank you, Claudia. It's Claudia's first week on slides. Share it for her. Thank you. <clears throat> now, this is a passage about how we steward our allegiance. How do we hold on to our civic duties, obey the government, pay our taxes, submit to rulers, participate in like civil society while simultaneously submitting to God? And what do we do on those occasions where those two things come into conflict? How do we steward our allegiance? What does it look like in our complex world to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's? And the answer is complicated. A lot of times we want the easy answer. We try to take this text and make it fit. Whatever kind of presuppositions we bring to it. But Jesus doesn't give an easy answer. These people ask him a yes or no question, and he doesn't say yes or no. He doesn't say yes, pay the tax, or no, don't pay it. Instead, he makes this distinction, and he forces them, forces us, really, to sit in it. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Let's sit in that distinction for a minute, because this is the crucial thing to catch. For any Roman citizen who's listening, and we don't know if there are Romans on the scene for this, there could have been, but for any Roman who hears this line, it's a pretty jarring line. Because at the time of Jesus, Caesar is God, right? Jesus, though, distinguishes Caesar from God. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Don't you for a minute confuse the two. If we want to apply this text to our life, uh, if we want to read this story better than all those um, probably decent, well-meaning Christians in Germany in the 1930s, we have to recognize the distinction between God and Caesar. Now, you might say, but pastor, we don't do this anymore. We don't worship our political leaders anymore. And you would be wrong. Um, We might not bow down to them. We still put their faces on a lot of stuff. But we might not bow down and worship, but don't think for a minute that we don't worship them, that our religion and our politics aren't intertwined in some really dangerous ways. You probably heard statistics that our society is becoming less and less religious. Um, Church attendance is down. More and more Americans are checking the nun, the the other box on, you know, what religion do you identify with. But religion never goes away. Like religious devotion, religious fervor, it never disappears. We're inherently religious. As organized religion declines, we just kind of give that devotion to something else. And history shows time and time again that something else is usually political. It's usually politics. Politics and nationalism are increasingly replacing religion as the object of our worship. Think about how dogmatically we hold to our political tribes. 
how we'll like ask those prodding questions when we meet someone, trying to sniff them out. Are you in my group or the other group? Kind of testing their orthodoxy, right? Think about how quickly someone can be excommunicated. We use the word canceled, but it's excommunicated if they deviate from what their political tribe holds to be orthodoxy. Used to be the case, not too long ago, um, that parents would get upset if their kids married outside of their religious tradition, outside of their faith. Um, If you were Jewish and your daughter brought home a Gentile, or, you know, if you were Baptist and you were dating a Catholic, you know, oh, don't even get us started on that. Um, That was a big deal back in the day. Not so much now. People don't care about that anymore, which I guess is progress. But boy, if your kid marries outside of their political tribe... Thanksgiving dinners are going to be really interesting, right? If you you take someone who is a Democrat and Christian or Republican and Christian, statistics now show, survey data shows, this has been tested, they will be more upset if their kids marry outside the political tribe than outside the faith. That is politics as our new religion. Now, this was just an issue for non-Christians. It wouldn't be a big deal. Because, um, like, who cares? It's not, it's, not, it's not our job to police what people outside the church want to worship. It's none of our business. But what's troubling is that we're seeing more and more of this dogmatic adherence to political doctrine among Christians. Surveys of American Christians increasingly show that our views, our opinions, our beliefs are not being shaped by our churches, by a given reading of the Bible, or our denomination, or whatever, but by our political tribe. If you know who a Christian votes for, you can line up better than what church they go to, where they're going to fall on all the big questions. And American Christians really stand out on this. Um, American Christians are more likely to take a hard-line stance against immigration, for example, to hold anti-immigrant views than Christians in the rest of the world. We're an outlier. Uh, We're more likely to support the death penalty than Christians anywhere else in the country. We're more likely to support um, cutting social programs, advocating for uh, gun ownership, all sorts of things that we stand out on as Christians in America when compared with the rest of the world. I remember when I first started preaching, um, gosh, 15 years ago now, people would push back on me for theological stuff. Like, I would get criticism if someone disagreed with my reading of the Bible, or if they thought I was kind of straying from orthodoxy, not that I ever do that. Um, But like now, nowadays, last few years, I never get pushed back on Bible stuff anymore. Over the last few years, if I ever get pushback on a sermon, it's because something I said bristles against the person's politics in some way. And I've gotten it from people on both sides, believe it or not. I know like 90% of you are like, that's not possible. But it's true. I get the emails. We are not doing a very good job of rendering to Caesar what is Caesar and to God what is God's. Now normally, um, I like to end a sermon with points of application. Usually three, because three is like easy to remember. Um, But for today, we're going to do things a bit differently. I want to actually end this sermon with a list, a list of questions we can ask ourselves to just help 
distinguish or discern how well are we distinguishing between God and Caesar. And you're going to actually find this uh, list in the going deeper section of your sermon notes. Um, Every week in the bulletin, we always have this little page for taking notes on the sermons. And most weeks, uh, and if you're watching us online, uh, on our online worship page, you can download this week's bulletin as well. So it's there for you as a PDF. But most weeks, we also have a going deeper section with like prayer prompts, reflection questions, all sorts of things. And this week, we have a list of questions that you can consider to help discern how well you're making this distinguishing between God and Caesar in your life. The first question is, do all your political beliefs line up with a single party? If yes, or I might even say if like more than three quarters do, you might not be distinguishing very well between God and Caesar. You might need to rethink some of your allegiances. Second question. How many political views have you changed in the past five years because of something you read in Scripture? Now, if you haven't read the Bible in five years, you have your answer. <laughs> um, but this is, this, is a, this is an important question. I'll often ask people this question if they want to engage me on politics just to kind of see where they're coming from. Personally, I can point to specific things I've had to change, beliefs I've had to let go of, assumptions I've had to rethink because of something I saw in Scripture. A lot of Christians can't do that. How many political beliefs have you had to shift, change, because of the gospel? If you can't name any, that might be a sign that something's off. Question three. How is your time balance between political inputs and faith-based ones? How much time do you spend watching cable news, listening to political podcasts, arguing with, with friends on social media, and how does that stack up with time you spend on your faith and discipleship? Things like worship, prayer, reading the Bible, talking to people about God and faith and the bigger questions of life. Where's that balance? If you spend four or five more hours a day watching cable news, you're being discipled, just not by Jesus. Important to keep that in mind. A lot of other questions we could ask. Um, The last one, though, I think is really at the heart of this passage. How often do you find your faith clashing with your civil, sorry, your civic duties or politics? How often do you find yourself having to make that hard distinction, that hard choice between following God, excuse me, and following Caesar? If the answer is not at all, if you don't wince a little bit as a Christian every time you step in a voting booth, If you don't find yourself struggling at times when you read the news and see some of the things that our country does in the world, if it doesn't bother you that large chunks of our tax dollars are used for, like, weapons of war, you might need to rethink how Jesus is lining up with and shaping your politics. There is a tension here 
that we are called to live in as Christians. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar and to God what is God's is not a line that should make us feel comfortable. It shouldn't make us feel like, ooh, I've got that. I've checked that one. I'm good. This is a line that should unsettle us. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar and to God what is God's should make us uncomfortable. It should force us to look deep within ourselves and check our hearts. Jesus doesn't give us an easy answer because there isn't one. And I'm not here to tell you where to come down on these questions either. I'm not going to give you all the answers on precisely how to steward your allegiance, just like I'm not going to tell anyone how they should be stewarding their money and giving to the church and other ministries and things like that. That's not my job. That's between you and God. But what I do want to do for all of us is I want to invite us into this tension, this uncomfortable distinction between God and and Caesar. I want to encourage you to be unsettled, to question things. I want to encourage you to be a good citizen, be patriotic, be proud of your country, but don't do so uncritically. If we strive to follow Jesus, we are going to run into some conflicts with Caesar sooner or later. That's what it takes to steward your allegiances. So render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to the emperor what belongs to the emperor's, but make sure you give God what belongs to God, which is everything. Let's pray. God, we thank you for hard, uncomfortable questions that make us look inside ourselves and question our allegiances. We thank you for not being a God who gives trite, easy answers to such questions, but who instead invites us to live in this tension. So God, we ask that you would guide us, give us discernment and direction as we strive to be good citizens, to be faithful citizens, all while holding true to you, first and foremost. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.